Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, I hope you're having the best year ever. Has it been a good week so far? The year hasn't been ruined in the last seven days? That's good. That's good. How many of you were able to join us for one of our uh, New Year's services? Were you here? Three of you were. Okay, great. I know more of you were. Man, we had a powerful uh, praise and worship night on New Year's Eve, bringing in the new year at midnight. That was, that was a pretty awesome experience to be with you. And then New Year's Day to, to bring in the new year together that morning as well. If you weren't able to be with, uh, be with us, I encourage you to get the podcast. You can go to c2church.com and click on the media button. You'll find the podcast there. As we kind of set the tone for the best year ever, really, we talked about the atmosphere, setting the atmosphere and how our praise and worship really can change the atmosphere of of our life, and by doing so, usher in the presence or the awareness of God's presence. That's going to be my pursuit this year, is more of God's presence. We talked about last week that God is always present. He's always around. But it's my awareness and and the the fulfillment I find from His presence and, and my ability then to discern it. And certainly as I pray and worship, and we set it up with the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. As I worship and revere who he is, I'm made more aware of his presence. His presence is made more manifest to me. And prayer and worship set that atmosphere. And Jesus taught us that through the prayer called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And you saw it on the video Jesus was giving us an example or a framework that we might change the atmosphere of our life through our prayer, starting with worship. Our Father who who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, I encourage you to get the podcast, otherwise I'm going to re-preach that right now. We don't have time for that. But he goes on to say, give us today our daily bread. You stopped and thought about that, what that means. This whole prayer as Jesus sets it up. I love what Mark Steele in his book, Christian-ish, Are We Really Seeking Jesus? He writes this, even when Jesus went so far as to teach us how to pray, giving us a note-for-note, beat-by-beat example, he did not make that prayer an eloquent attack on all that was wrong with the world while pleading with God to fix it. He barely made the prayer about third parties at all. In fact, only making it about them when we are giving them forgiveness. Instead, he constructed the prayer as an exchange between the first and second parties. The first being God, the provider, and the second being us, the humbled and needy. And he goes on to write this. It is more than a prayer, really. It is an admission of no nothingness on our part, an act of both contrition and complete humility. It is putting ourselves in our proper place. God You are God, and I am in need of sustenance, forgiveness, and deliverance that only you can provide. It is a reminder that every human being is in that same predicament. Every single human has these same needs, and there's only one provider. He would love to utilize us to bring some of that provision to others in his name, but he cannot do so while our opinions take the God position in our lives. He can only do so when he is our one and only God. We said last week, you've got to change seats. Let God sit on the throne of your life. The head of the table. Hey, we have a table this morning. 
Because this morning we're going to talk about setting the table. How many of you ever set the table before? You know what I'm talking about. Used to be a chore at our house. It was, it was a rotation. It was your week to set the table anytime we sat down as a family to eat, right? Which I would totally love to set the table more than cleaning the table, right? I didn't like to clean the table. Then you had to do the dishes. But you don't set the table if you don't want to eat, do you? You don't, you don't waste the time. You might go for as far as setting the table with a, a paper cup, plate, and maybe a fork and a spoon. You know, this is perfect for pizza. <laughs> Actually, let's be honest. Perfect for pizza is a napkin. That's all you need. You don't need no plate. Self-contained, right? But what are you expecting? What's the expectation of the meal? And who is coming to dinner if it's special, if it's something, uh, a, a meal together with the family? Maybe there's special guests. You said it. You said it properly. Everything in its place. You set the table with expectation. Give us today our daily bread. Bread was the primary food of people in Bible times. And this prayer taken at face value is simply that, a request for the food needed daily and that it be provided when it was needed. Most of the people in in Jesus' day, they lived hand to mouth. A large proportion of their time and their energy in that day spent gathering food and producing food, particularly bread. This was especially true among the lower class to whom which Jesus did most of his ministry. Their time and energy was all about just getting enough to sustain them for that day. They didn't have modern refrigeration and preservatives and all that. Couldn't just go down the street to the local mart and buy a box of Cheerios to sustain you for a day, right? It would spoil Give us today our daily bread. And so this initial petition right here seems simple enough. Give us today what we need to simply provide the bread. And I think it's easy enough to understand that in this prayer, we understand that God is the source of all physical provision. It it speaks of necessity rather than luxury, as Augustine says of the prayer. Jesus now is bringing our list of needs into line with this new frame of heart. That Proverbs 30 says it this way, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Lord, just give me what I need. Uh, And it goes on to say, Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. We may assume we understand the simple request, but I think as you understand it and zero in on it, there's more depth than we realize. Because in, in addition to the word, word daily simply meaning today, it really means give us today our bread for tomorrow. Give us tomorrow's bread today. This is the only occurrence of, of this word, uh, this word in, in Greek literature, this word daily. There's a non-literature source that they found. It seems to be uh, what one researcher called a grocery list. It was the making of a list that someone might go to get the provisions to make bread or whatever they needed for the next day. It was an expectation and preparation. So it wasn't just asking about, give me today. It was, I'm thinking about what is coming tomorrow. 
can I get tomorrow's bread today? Bread in the Bible always represented God's presence and provision. It was a metaphor for spiritual bread, his sustaining power. And I think having just prayed the first part of the Lord's prayer, recognizing God as our true food, wealth, happiness, and satisfaction, we turn and say, Lord, provide. When we're saying, holy is your name, hallowed be your name, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be perpetually and perfectly done, then we want you to provide the very sustenance for which to do that. So it follows that the bread of tomorrow is in reality an eternal bread. Jesus used only one symbol to describe the eternal state for believers. And he used it many times. He described it, this eternal state, as a great and joyous feast. That one day we would uh, participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb or the marriage feast of our Savior. This was the metaphor. This was the picture that he would give. And surely this is where the bread of heaven would be served. So when Jesus bids us to pray for the bread of tomorrow, he's bidding us to pray for the bread of eternity today. That his presence, the bread of God's presence, may be that which we feast on. So you set the table for this bread. The presence of God you might have his presence in your life. You know, in the temple, they had what they call the showbread or the bread of the presence. And it was set at the table of showbread or the table of his presence. And it was here that the priests would uh, bake these loaves of bread, 12 to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would set it before the Lord each week. And there it would remain until the Sabbath where they would remove it and they would eat the bread in that holy place. They would replace it with fresh bread. The bread was always fresh. It was constantly being renewed. That's why it's called the bread of the presence, because it's always to be in the presence of the Lord. And it was this picture as an invitation to share a meal, because isn't that what the table is for? When you have a, a dining room table, you don't, have one chair, do you? Because when you set the table, you set the table for more than yourself. It's usually for one or more, two or more, three or more. And so it is with the bread. It's a picture of God's willingness to fellowship and commune with us. Literally speaking of sharing something in common with man. So eating together is often an act of fellowship, which is why church people eat all the time together what we do. God was willing for man to enter his presence, to fellowship with him. And this invitation was always open because of Jesus. And the priests did this every week. And the bread was always fresh. Could it be said that the presence of God is always fresh in your life? That you're eating of his presence each day, each week? Because we see in Scripture the priority of his presence. So when you go to God, what are you asking for? Give us today our daily bread. Certainly we bring our needs to the Lord, our physical daily needs, and say, Lord, provide. Be my sustenance. Be my sustainer. Be my resource. What are you setting the table for? Simply for God 
to be on your on-demand Amazon Prime, that he might deliver what you need when you need it. I love Amazon. It's great, right? I'm not even getting a promotional deal out of this. They got this new thing called the Dash. It's literally all these buttons with different logos for different products. You stick them all over your house, maybe by your coffee maker or your laundry. And, and when you hit the button, it orders whatever that thing represents. So if it's coffee, man, you're out of coffee grounds, you hit that button, it, it puts it in your Amazon account and immediately ships it to you. And if you run out of laundry detergent, you don't have to make a list. You just hit the dash button. It puts it on your Prime account and mails it to you. Come on now. You know, you're like thinking of a million ways. There's going to be one right by the toilet at that moment. You're like, oh, I'm out of toilet paper. Boom. <laughs> Come in. The door's unlocked. Just bring it straight in. Right? You need something when you need it. You need it now. And that's kind of what I think we think of God as the Amazon dad. We just press a button and he delivers what we want when we need it. And surely he sustains us, but think of the silliness of how, how this goes. I mean, you're just ordering stuff all the time. You have those buttons all over the house, ordering cereal and candy and whatever you need. It could get pretty ridiculous. And now they'll deliver it to you by a drone. How awesome is that? that I just, that's cool. The Bible has a similar story, although it's not about the Amazon Dash. In John chapter 6, it's the feeding of the 5,000. I, th- I think it's similar because in the feeding of the 5,000, there's this moment where the people are following after Jesus because he's, he's doing things. And they're following him, and it's the Sabbath, and, and he says to his disciples, hey, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And they're like, uh, it would take like a month's wages to feed all these people. There ain't no pots. Just send them away. And in one translation, one, one of the Gospels, Jesus actually says to his disciples, you feed them. <laughs> say what 5,000 people how in the world and they're baffled I love I love the how John records it in John chapter 6 after challenging him that with this thought that we need to feed them and he says to them you feed them they said impossible here's what verse 6 says he did this to test them for he himself knew what he would do Jesus is way better than Amazon. He already knows what you need. He already knew what he was going to do to meet that need. And so Andrew, one of his followers, his disciples, says, hey, hey, here's a boy who's got two loaves of bread and five fishes. I mean, think about it from Andrew's point of view and the other disciples. Andrew, you're a fool. Two loaves of bread for 5,000 people and a crumb for you and a crumb. Oh, I'm going to have to tear that crumb in half. it got to go a long way. Think, think of the kind of faith that, that it must have taken Andrew to come to Jesus and say, I, you said to feed these people and, and here's what we got. It's, uh, it's very little. Do you think Andrew had a glimpse already? Was his faith large enough already to believe that? You know, Jesus could probably do something with this. I don't know what it is, but maybe he could do something. And he feeds them all. It says, everyone had their fill, and they were going around collecting basketfuls afterward. So Jesus does the impossible in this moment. He meets that need, but the story continues. It says he goes on and he crosses to the other side of the lake. And the crowd follows him. They find him there, and they're like, 
oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? I didn't know you were. You're stalking me, Jesus. Well, Jesus doesn't say that, but it's, it's intimated in the scriptures. They went after him because he had fed them. And he calls them on it. Verse 26, he says, you are seeking me not because of the signs that I'm the Messiah, but because you want to fill your stomachs. Verse 27 says, Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And their response in verse 31 says this, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they, they knew the stories of their ancestors, that God had provided manna, literally bread from heaven, that's the translation, to them as they wandered in the wilderness after they had been slaved in Egypt. And this was a picture of the living bread that Jesus would become. But in this story, and they would have known this in that day, God provided manna, literally bread from heaven every day. When they would wake up, it would be all over the ground. And they would go and collect their day's portion. Well, why didn't they gather more? Because the promise was only for that day. If you gathered more, it would spoil. And so each day you would go out and get the food that God had provided. God would provide the food in such a way that it would teach his people something about relying on him and the importance of relationship. They would have to depend on God for food supernaturally, but God would provide enough food every day. No one could gather more than a day's supply, and there had to be continual, constant dependence on God because he was their only source of resource in that day. They were always, think about it, always one day from starvation. Always one day from being out. Now we go to Sam's Club and we get a year's worth of something, right? I just need one little bottle. I'll take six huge bats full, right? But not so in this day. They were always just one day away from starvation, yet they ate well during those years. Verse 32 of John 6 again, Jesus continued by saying this to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes to, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For I have come down from heaven, verse 38 says. Each statement Jesus made stressed the continuing benefits of being in relationship and receiving the life that only he can bring. So it's more than just our daily physical needs. It's saying, Lord, I want the eternal bread that you have. Through your son Jesus, I want that presence to be in my life. And Jesus says, when that bread comes into your life, when that presence invades your life, you will never be hungry. God will, in Jesus, keep on supplying that which sustains that new life in you. You will never be thirsty. He will satisfy the most inward needs you have. Jesus then went on to promise that anyone who believed in him would have eternal life, and anyone who fed on the living bread would have 
will live forever. Verse 51 would say that Jesus says this, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He would go on in verse 56 to say, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Verse 58, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus was using his body and his blood as symbols to represent everything needed to sustain life. This is the true bread. And you think about the Passover, what some call the Eucharist, what we call communion. The Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's table. All this is pointing back to this one thought of our daily bread. Jesus, in Matthew 26, it says, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, for this is my my body. Jesus' broken body is our only access to fellowship with God. Do you understand that? The daily bread we ask for is Jesus, by which we have access to God the Father. God so desires our fellowship that he was willing to come to earth from heaven as our bread of life. Jesus even exemplified this desired fellowship when he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners of the Jewish society. It was more than just a gesture of friendship. Jesus came to call every sinner, you and me alike, to have fellowship with him, to make them right with God so that they could enjoy everlasting fellowship with God. We go to Jesus and Jesus alone for he alone is our resource. He alone is our strength. He alone gives us access to sustain us so completely that we will neither hunger nor thirst for anything else. No addiction, no habit, no distraction, but that which we truly hunger and thirst for. This is the power of his presence. This is the power of his presence. It's the the fullness of his presence. You ever eat so much, you just like, you got to loosen the belt a notch. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Maybe just undo that top button. Because you're full. This is the presence I long for. This is what you deep down long for is this filling and fullness of God's presence. This is why Jesus has come, all you who are thirsty, all who are hungry. Jesus never disappoints, ever. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself is being tempted. Having fasted for 40 days, it says the devil came to tempt him. He said, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to turn into bread. I've never gone 40 days without food. But man, Jesus must have been hungry. Right? Some of you like an hour and a half later, man, oh, I'm starving, right? 40 days, Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, Tell this stone to turn into bread. Jesus' response, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He is a sustainer of all life. He is the one who makes you full. I love what Psalm 16 expresses. It says this, I have set the Lord always before me intentionally. 
I've prepared this. I pursue this. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices for you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness. You get that? There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So how do we practice the presence of God? I think you set the table with expectation. What are you expecting from God? Is it simply what I need today? Certainly. We go to God with every need. He's our sustainer. He's our provider. He can meet every need that you have. I love what David wrote in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's my expectation. More than just daily bread of my physical life, things that I need, I want the presence of the Lord. I want to dwell in that presence. But if you understand the scriptures, it's not simply that we are setting a table for God, and certainly that is part of it. We talked about how we can change the atmosphere, but God can change the atmosphere. It's true about setting the table. It's not just that I set the table for God, but that God has already set the table for me. Psalm 23, my favorite psalm, says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, why would he do that? Because when I sit down in his presence, I don't have to worry about the enemies. I don't have to worry about the trials and tribulations that I'm going through. It's the moment that everything else fades, including the music. I love you, Elton. And though my enemies surround me, the table set for me means I can sit back. I can recline. I can enjoy the table set before me because it's an invitation to fellowship in the presence of the Lord. There's security. I'm safe. He's got me. He prepares a table before me while my enemies look on and wonder. He has prepared the table. He invites us into fellowship. How do we prepare? How do we practice the presence of God? I like what Dr. Spence Jones writes in his book, just entitled Psalms. He says there's three ways the Lord has already prepared the table for us that we can enter in. One is the word of God. This is a table prepared for us. It's the bread of life for us to eat had people come to me and say, you know, pastor, I'm just not being fed. I don't know if I can come to your church anymore. You're just not feeding me. I was never meant to feed you. Other than this, you got to feed on it yourself. You got to eat it. You got every day feast on it. Hunger for it. The word of God is a table already prepared for us that we might feast on it. Public worship is another table set for us. When the Lord's day comes around and we gather together as God's people, there's something powerful that we might feast on the presence and the manifestation of what he will do, what he can do. When we come together, something special about that. Of course, in communion, we participated last week. But what about in your own home? 
participating in the Lord's table, the table set for you and me with the body and blood of Jesus. Do you do that in your own home? Do you take a moment with your family or by yourself in your own personal worship? Husbands, do you lead your wives? Wives, are you taking that initiative as well? Moms, dads, with your kids, serving them the Lord's table to practice the presence of the Lord. It's not just a cup of juice and a cracker. It's his presence that we're practicing, we're recognizing. We're taking a moment to pause everything to say, we recognize the presence of God is here and now because of what Jesus did. He's provided everything we will ever need. The truth is this. You can eat as much of God's presence as you want. The fact is most of us are simply satisfied with the snacks that the world's provided. They just get us by. A little fruit snack here or there. And we never truly feast on God's presence because we're so full of other stuff. That's why fasting is so important. When we physically fast from food, we, we cause ourselves to be hungry. Every time my stomach grumbles when I'm fasting, I think, I need a cheeseburger. And I have to remind myself it's about God's presence. And I want to hunger for God's presence more than I want to hunger for a cheeseburger. I want God's presence more than I, I, I want a snack. I want something that will sustain me beyond the circumstances of my life and through the circumstances of my life. I heard one pastor say, you're only in love with God as much as you want to be. How much do you want to love God? How much do you want to hunger for him? So set the table with higher expectation. This doesn't say expectation of much. When you set the table for God, this I was telling LT, look, I got I got three different plates. I got like my appetizer plate, which they take away with the main course, right? When you get a main course plate, you're not even got a plate for the free stuff that comes before the meal, you know, like chips and salsa or whatever. Because there's expectation. There's longing for more. This is where Acts chapter 2, the God's presence comes in such a way because they waited in expectation of something greater. And the bread showed up. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God showed up that day and he filled them, overflowing. So what do you want to experience? The awe and wonder and beauty, the majesty, the power of God. How are you setting the table? I want to close with this scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That 
you might be filled with the fullness of God, not longing for anything else, but more of his presence, more of him. Prayer sets that table. How's 2017 going to be different than 2016? How are you making, taking time in your day to pray and, and spend time in God's presence? Using the Lord's Prayer as that framework to set all your prayers upon. And I guarantee when you begin to do that, you will have the best year ever. The best year ever. But we do that in a personal sense. I believe it begins to affect and infect what we do in a corporate sense as a church. That's why we're going to launch this new year with a week of of prayer and fasting. We're going to launch it on January 22nd with a night of prayer and worship. Would you come out for that? Will you clear your schedule? Six o'clock, January 22nd. We're going to launch our week of prayer. Sign up out in the foyer or online for our 24 hours of prayer for that week. Sign up for a slot or two or three, however many you want. You want to do every night, the same night or in the morning or whatever works for you. Sign up for that. We've got a book out there called Praying with Confidence, written by a pastor friend of mine named Jeff Leak. I preached on this last year. It's a great, it's a simple book. It'll teach you how to pray a little bit deeper. It gives you 31 days of, uh, of guided prayer time and devotion. We're making it available to you for $5. It's, it retails for $12.99. We, we didn't purchase it for that. We purchased it for a little less. We didn't purchase it for $5, but we felt like $5 was what we wanted to offer it to you because we believe in this resource and we want to resource you for the new year for the best year ever. So would you find $5, skip that latte this week, buy that book, put it with your Bible and take time every day to begin or end your day with God. I like what Paul says at the end of that passage that I just read, verse 20 and 21. This has captured my thought about God's presence. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even think according to the power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? Would you take time this week to practice the presence of God? in your own personal life, in your family, in your small groups. And then come together next Sunday as we corporately worship God together with expectation. What happens in this place when we start to expect God to do more? That we've moved beyond expecting just God to fix circumstances in our life, but to change the community around us. What would happen if we became a church of prayer and the presence of God. Do you know what that would do to Columbia and all of mid-Missouri? Come on, watch out. Let's pray this morning. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads in this moment, in this holy moment. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his presence is real. He's not uh, some guy up in heaven somewhere, far distant, but he's here and now. He longs to have relationship and fellowship with you. Because if Jesus lived the perfect life, he suffered in your place and died to pay your sin debt, you can have relationship with God. Your old life gone and a new life comes. 
If you'd say to me this morning, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I need to step across the line of faith. I want to trust Jesus with my life. I want to place my faith in him. If that's you this morning all over this room, would you simply lift your hand when I count to three? And I'm going to pray with you. The church is going to pray with you. We're going to start the journey of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. If that's you this morning, would you simply raise your hand up high when I count to three? One, two, three. All over this room, would you raise your hand? Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? You need to place your faith in Christ for the first time this morning. Anyone at all? I don't see any hands this morning. And church, I'm going to pray with you. I don't know about you, but I want more of God in my life this year. That presence in a, a very, not just practical sense, but in an astounding sense. If that's you, as I pray, I'm lifting my hands. Would you, if that's your prayer, would you lift your hands with me this morning as well? Father, would you come and make your presence real in our life? As we practice your presence, as we make your presence a priority, as we make seeking the power of your presence the most important thing in our lives, would you come and fill us as you are faithful to do, you promise to do. Find us faithful in making you the priority, rearranging things around you, around spending time in your word and worshiping and praying and gathering with the saints each Sunday morning. Father, would you have your way? Do your work. Bless your people, not so that we can selfishly hoard it as an experience, but that we might become the bread to the hungry in our community, all around Columbia and mid-Missouri. That there would be bread, fresh bread, fresh presence in this house for the glory of one name, the name of Jesus. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Well, I love you this morning. I hope you have the best year ever, starting this week. Don't forget to swing by our uh, uh, Praying with Confidence table on your way out. We love you. Have a great week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.